Amen. Pull up a seat. Pull up a seat, grab a Bible, open it up, or open to your Bible app, whatever you use. And let's go together to the Word of God. My name is Pastor Dale. It's my privilege to teach here along with Pastor Ryan. And we are going to go to Luke chapter... Oh, boy, crash, burn. That's okay. That's, I was just concerned. Okay, here we go. Uh, we're going to Luke chapter 19. So get your Bible out. Turn to Luke chapter 19. And by the way, we always provide an outline. And today I'm going to cover maybe a little more detail than we often pack into a sermon. It's a big topic. This will help you if you want to follow along. Pull this out of your weekly. And you can even take a few notes if you'd like to, okay? All right. Pray with me. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for your word. Oh, what a privilege to be a part of this thing called the kingdom of God. Uh, and Father, today as we explore this topic of how we bring uh, heaven to earth, that we live life uh, where heaven and earth converge in our everyday lives, uh, teach us how to bring heaven's thoughts, heaven's values into our everyday life, especially as it relates to this thing called money. It's a big part of life. It's important. And you care about us and you care about it. So we pray you teach us in Christ's name. Amen. This is the time of year in which almost everybody at times thinks about money for one of either good news or bad news, okay? Good news. What's good news? Let me think about the stock market. Let's see if any of you even pay attention. I'm sure you don't. So what big goal, what, uh, what thousand marker did the stock market just break in the last few weeks? Answer? 21,000. Wow, the rest of you either don't care or you're not invested. Yeah, you know that. I mean, it makes the news. Everyone's talking about, wow, you know, the economy's up and jobs are being created and the stock market had just passed 21,000. First it blew through 20,000 and went right on up in no time to 21,000. Money matters to people. If you're like me and at my age, I'm looking a few years down the road thinking, how am I going to survive, you know, if I'm not working? And I plan to always do ministry till I die, but at some point, Seacoast probably quits paying me and then what am I going to do? So yeah, money matters. You shouldn't feel guilt thinking about it. If you don't think about it because of the stock market, April 15th is around the corner. And sometime between now and April 15th, you have to pay your... Well, you guys are not a very responsive crowd. Can I just kind of... T- you got to play with me a little bit or else you're going to be bored. Yeah, it's tax time. Man, I remember tax time, April 15th. I, you know, I put it off, put it off, put it off. I am not one of these people that does them early, okay? But, you know, at least if I do them like a week early, I feel like, wow, I'm in early this year. And I remember April 15th, the most famous April 15th that Becky and I ever experienced. I was a new pastor in a church in Ohio, southern Ohio. And on April 15th, I woke up to a snowstorm, believe it or not, a weird April snowstorm. There was snow on the ground. Um, my van was parked outside. I was at the... Uh, living as a dining room table trying to finish my taxes and my wife had the audacity to announce the baby's coming our firstborn beth our firstborn child was due about any time and sure enough she chose to be born on tax day which is now forever my daughter's birthday wow what a mixture of grief and celebration so Becky comes out and she says, honey, the, you know, the, the contractions are getting stronger. And, and I say, honey, I'm almost finished with our taxes. 
You know, you got to wait. And, okay, take a big deep breath. You just got to wait until I finish the taxes. You know, it's, it's the last day. You know what my wife said to that? I'm not going to quote what she said to that. <laughs> she really didn't give a rip whether I finished my taxes. And, and by the way, only year in my life I did not finish my taxes on April 15th. Off we had to go to the hospital to have the beautiful gift of God called a baby. So April 15th, though, for most of you, is not a birthday of a child. It's when you give your money away. Money matters. God thinks money matters. In fact, the Word of God teaches a lot about money. And you would think God is kind of obsessed with money. There's actually more passages that talk about money than heaven and hell combined. Do you know that? Now, why does God talk about money? Is God short on money? No. See, I think God doesn't really care that much about money, but God cares about you. And God knows you care about money. It's kind of part of life. It's part of what's necessary to make life work. So as we talk about bringing heaven and earth and converging life where heaven meets earth, today we're going to talk about what does Jesus teach us about the role of money in our lives so that, and how does it relate to the kingdom of God? How, does, how should we think of it? How should we live with it? How should we use it? And uh, that's where we're going today. Now, before we go there, though, I've got a little experiment I'd like to do today, and that's this. I've got three envelopes that have contained in them something which I like to call a kingdom of God um, assignment. Now, let me give you some tips. To do this assignment, uh, you can be any age as long as you're a serious follower of Jesus Christ. Um, You need no money to do this assignment. And this assignment has to do with helping you experience uh, actual impact on people's lives. So I just need some volunteers. I'll take one from each section, okay? So someone who wants to do a, a little assignment. You have 60 days to get it done, but you can do it in a day if you want to, okay? So I, I need a volunteer. Let's start over here. Any, here's a volunteer. Great, good deal. Here, I'll just flip this to you. Good deal. All right, another volunteer over here. Any, okay, okay, come on, come on up. Come on up. Mrs. Vigil, there you go. Welcome. Thanks for volunteering. How about over here? There we go. Give me a volunteer right on the front row. I love these front row volunteers. Good deal. Good deal. Now, here's the deal, okay? Um, I want you to open those envelopes. In fact, you can stand up. Go ahead and stand up for a minute, the three of you, and open those envelopes in front of everyone and just tell me what's in the envelope. Wow, $20. Is that a 20 or 100 What is that? bill. I can tell you it's a 20. Give up the 100 dream, okay? Yeah, okay. What's it say on the envelope? A gift from God. $20 from God. What what do you have? Gift from God. God. How many? What do you have? $40. What about here? 20. 20, 20, 40, which proves you should sit on this side of the service. (laughs) By the way, first service, one of them had 60s, which proves you may want to come to the first service next time. But anyway, okay, so so these are gifts from God. Now, you can sit down. Don't read the letter that's in there yet. Okay, some of you are cheating. Just put, put the 20 or the 40 back in the envelope with the letter. We'll read the letter later. But these are gifts from God. Now, here's what you need to know about this money. This money is not Seacoast money. This is not Dale's money. This money is a gift from God. It belongs to God. But he's given it to you to hold on to 
and to do something with it. Now the question is, what's he wants you to do with it? That's what we're going to learn from God's Word. And we're going to see that even though they're the only three in the room that got these envelopes, here's the deal. If you have ever received a paycheck in your life, whether it's in an envelope or direct deposit, everything I'm going to teach the three of them will apply to you as well. So you've got to imagine as if, if I'd had deeper pockets, I would have given every one of you an envelope this morning, but I just didn't want to spend that much money. All right, but here we go. Let's study the Word of God and see how does God want them to handle their money and the rest of us as well. Listen to the parable of Jesus. Now, before we study the parable, what is the setting of this parable about the kingdom of God? Beginning in Luke 19.11. Jesus said this, While they were listening to these things, Jesus was teaching. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on, verse 11, to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And they supposed... In other words, he knew what was in their mind. They were thinking that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So Jesus said, and he tells them a story that we're going to study today. Now, why would they begin to think the kingdom of God was coming immediately? You've got to go back to the context right before this statement. So why would Jesus know that that's what was in their minds? Well, even if you go back, let's say, one chapter to chapter 18, Jesus encounters a blind man, blind from birth, and he lays hands on him and heals him and the blind man can see and everybody sees a miracle happen jesus has been doing a series of miraculous things jesus had risen lazarus from the dead even so he had just healed a blind man in chapter 18 of luke chapter 19 of luke what had just now happened was Jesus was preparing to enter Jerusalem. We call it the triumphal entry. It was right before he would, the, the, the last week of his life, when he would go to the cross, die for our sins, raise from the dead. But that triumphal entry story on Palm Sunday is about to happen right after what we're going to study today. So people knew that Jesus was the miracle worker. Jesus was the great teacher. Jesus had proclaimed Himself as their Messiah, their Deliverer. And He's on the edge of Jerusalem. And there's a parade plan for the next day. And He's about ready to come in. So they are thinking, Jesus has come to take charge, be the King, and bring in the Kingdom. So knowing that they were thinking, the Kingdom is about to come immediately, Jesus says, I better tell them a story. Here's the story. Listen. Jesus says, knowing that they're thinking the kingdom is immediate, he says, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his servants, ten of his slaves, and he gave them ten minas. And he said to them, do business with this until I come back. Now pause there for just a minute. Let me give you what's going on. It says that this nobleman, uh, this rich man, this king, if you would, decides to travel and to go away, but he's going to come back. But while he's gone, he gets ten of his servants, and he actually entrusts them with ten minas. Now would you be excited to have ten minas? You say, what's a 
Mina. Yeah. What the heck is a mina? In Matthew chapter 25, it's called a talent, which is a different measurement of, of weight and money, actually. But here's what a mina is. A mina it represents, you can write this down on the outline, 100 days of wages. So it's about four to five months of wages. So picture what you make in four months. You got that? Picture a number. Picture what you make monthly, multiply it out, four to five months, about four and a half months, and that's what one mina is worth. So this is not like small change. Jesus gives them out some quarters, all right, or even silver dollars. In fact, he gives them ten mina, so if you do the math, it's about four years of salary. And if you just pick any number you want, say an average salary today in our economy uh, let's say 50000 a year, then this would be about $200,000. Now, in the Matthew 25 version, he tells a similar story again. And in that case, he gathers his servants, and the king is leaving. He's going to come back, and he gives them talents. A talent, each talent was worth 15 years of labor. So this is, this is not chump change. This is like you, as a wealthy person, getting ready to leave, and you gather 10 of your trusted people who are financial advisors, and you say, I want to give each of you $200,000, but it's my money, not yours, so I'm paying you to take good care of it and to grow it and to use it for my business. And I'll be back, and, and we'll see how you did when I come back. That's the essence of the story. And here's what happens. He says, but later his citizens um, hated him, and they sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, therefore, so, so Jesus then returns. Um, and, and when he returns, this is what happens. He says, after receiving his kingdom, after uh, you know, being welcomed back to his kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared and said, Master, your mina, your ten mina, has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good slave. In, the, in Matthew 5, it's well done, good and faithful servant. I love that phrase. Because you have been faithful in a very little thing. You are now to be an authority over ten cities. So he promotes this guy to a position of leadership and power because of what he had done. And the second came and said, uh, your mina, master, has made five more. He had turned the 10 into 15, you know, 50% growth. And he said to him, you are over five cities. He gives them a little less authority, but he rewards them again. And another came and said, Master, uh, here's your mina. Here's the 10 mina. I kept it away. I put it away in a handkerchief, locked it away, buried it perhaps, didn't want to lose it. For I was afraid of you. For you are an exacting man, and you take what you did not lay down, and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Well, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? The idea is at least you should have put it in the bank, and having come, I would have collected it with interest. Then he said to the bystanders, hey, take the minas, take the ten minas away from him and give it to the one who turned the ten minas into ten more. In other words, to the one who has ten. And they said, but master, the ten minas, you know, he already has ten minas already. And Jesus says, I tell you that everyone who has more shall be given 
But from the one who does not have, even what he has, even what he does have, shall be taken away. Now these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. Wow. What the heck is that talking about? Let's begin to unpack it. Let me show you what the story is about. The king or the nobleman is who? It's Jesus. Jesus was the king. He's the Messiah. He's coming to be the king of kings, lord of lords. And, and they think that the kingdom is coming immediately. So Jesus says, no, 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 no. Here's what's coming. It's going to be like this. The king is going to go somewhere, but he's going to return someday. And while he's gone, you need to be focused on using what he leaves behind. The king or nobleman is Jesus. The ten stewards represent you and me or the servants of Christ, the believers, the servants of Christ. Uh, the ones that he slays, by the way, are the unbelievers, I believe, when he, when he comes back. But, but the main focus is on these servants and what they do. That is, his disciples and what they do with the key elements, the mina, that are left behind. So these elements of mina, or if you study Matthew chapter 25 this week, uh, their, their talents, which is even a bigger chunk of money, but they represent more than money, in my opinion. But there's no doubt, this is talking about our money. It's talking about our resources that God gives to each of us. Uh, but it's talking, I think, more broadly about the resources of the kingdom. In other words, here's my definition. My definition of a talent is whatever resources the king entrusts to me for the advancement of his kingdom, that is, my time, my abilities or talents, and my money or treasure. So if you want to remember it, just think the, T, the three T words. My time, my talents or abilities, and my treasure or money. They're all gifts from God. If you study the Word of God, every talent that you have ultimately is a gift from God. He's your creator. He's your redeemer. He's the one that gives you life in Christ by His grace. And, and He sends His Spirit to live in you. And He gives you spiritual gifts and abilities uh, and, you know, so it includes opportunities or time. It includes talent and ability. But it also definitely, in this story, it's talking about our money that he entrusts to us. So what's the significance? Here's the big idea. You know, if you're involved in the kingdom of God, then the challenge is really captured in the outline in this statement. Be faithful and live like a kingdom steward especially as it relates to the money or income that God entrusts to us, that we are not the owners of those resources. Yes, we do a job, we get paid, but who is it that gives you the ability to do the job? Who is it that gives you the job itself? You know, James chapter 1, James chapter 1, 17 says, every good gift is from above, from the Father of lights of, who loves to give good gifts. He loves to give gifts to his children. So ultimately, every opportunity I have in life, you know, I'm not a self-made man. I am a God-made man. God is my Lord. He is my King. It says He owns all the, you know, all that is of the earth is ultimately God's. But yet what it's teaching us is this. Jesus says, hey, guess what? I'm not going to establish my kingdom right now. Yes, I'm, I'm birthing the kingdom and you're going to be a part of it. But, but the fulfillment of the kingdom of God coming to the earth no more sin, everything's righteous, I'm going to establish my eternal kingdom forever and ever and ever, I'm not going to do that right now because I've got to go to the cross 
die for your sins. I've got to be resurrected from the dead. I'm going to ascend or go back to heaven, but I'm coming back. So here's the idea. While I'm gone, think like a steward or manager of whatever I entrust to you. Don't think like the owner. Think like the manager or the steward of it. Here's the principles. Number one, I'll give you five quick ones. The king may be gone, but he's coming back. Therefore, be prepared. We don't talk about this much as Christians. People just want to talk about you know, the love of God, the grace of God, which, by the way, is incredible. And that is the foundation of my life and relationship to God. But the fact of the matter is the king has gone. He's seated at the right hand of his heavenly Father. But Jesus Christ said, just as I am leaving, I will come again. I'm going to return to the planet. I'm going to put an end to sin and death. Those who entrust themselves and place their faith in me will live forever. Those who don't will be destroyed. And we're going to move into a glorious eternal kingdom which i'm going to create and it'll be a new heaven it'll also be a new earth when i come back jesus has a glorious eternity planned for us when's he coming we don't know so however we apply it what we learn today jesus says man don't don't wait till tomorrow to start living this way because i'm coming back be prepared number two In the meantime, he's entrusted his kingdom to us. So therefore, we should be diligent and purposeful in our lives. I love this Converge series, which is challenging us to be purposeful in how we live our lives. That through Converge, we want to to bring the values of heaven and live them out on planet Earth. Now, how do we do that? We don't do that in our own strength. We do that because we can do that because God has sent his spirit to live in us. God has given us new life in Christ. He's given us what's called the new birth. He tells us in uh, Colossians, write this down, Colossians 1.13, He has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of His beloved Son. We're a part of a new family. We have all these incredible gifts from God, resources from God, and everything we need to live, we receive from Christ. We don't earn it given by grace and we just abide and walk in his love and his grace and his power and christ lives his life through us and that's all true but this parable is going even beyond that and saying that as we live in grace trusting in christ by his power and spirit god will entrust to each of us different talents time and treasure And then God says, don't waste it. Be what we call in the title today, a kingdom investor. So he's entrusted the advancement of his kingdom to us. So be diligent, be purposeful in how we use his assets. Number three, he's entrusted his wealth to us. And again, I'm not just talking about money, but it does involve that. Therefore, be appreciative and humble. He's entrusted every one of us in the room with different amounts of opportunities and abilities or talents and treasure. In fact, in the Matthew 25 version, if you want to compare the two, in the Matthew 25 version, each of the slaves are actually given a different amount of talents. And again, it's a measurement of of money and wealth, actually, 
But the word talent brings up in our mind abilities, okay? But I think whether you, no matter what you're thinking of, the idea is we're all different, and that's okay. God, by His grace, has gifted us differently. He's blessed us differently at different levels. Some have been blessed tremendously uh, with great wealth, for example. Others live very much on the margin trying to survive or, or even in poverty. But yet, whether we're in poverty or whether we are in extreme wealth, whatever we have has been given to us by God. Got that? That's the big idea. So the king is gone. In the meantime, he's entrusted what he has to us. So appreciate it and be humble. Number four, he expects a return on his investment. Three principles that undergird this. You know, and that is that the king is coming back someday. And there is a judgment that we encounter. It's called the Bema judgment uh, as we enter into eternity. It's not a judgment to determine whether you make it into heaven. That is safe and secured by God's grace. But it's a, it's a judgment in which the Bible describes uh, that each of us will stand before God someday and God will say, let's take a look at your life and let's see what you did with what I entrusted to you. Your time, your talent, your treasure. What'd you do with it? What'd you do with it? And there will be eternal rewards given at this, what's called this judgment seat of Christ or Bema judgment. You, you don't hear it taught on very often. So some of you have that deer in the headlights look right now. I get that. Because you may be thinking, whoa, I've never heard this. It's okay. Welcome to the Word of God. It's truth. And it's a glorious truth. Uh, just as the king came back and he wanted some accountability in the lives of each of these servants to say, so let's take a look at what you did with what I entrusted to you. And, and, and you could tell he got pretty ticked off when the one guy said, well, I know you gave me some, uh, you gave me your minas and I just don't want to, I just didn't want to risk losing them. So I didn't do anything with them. But, but I still got them. So here. Because the king is wanting us to use his resources to do his business, to grow his business, to grow the kingdom, to change lives, to be, as we've called in the Converge series, to be uh, people that are purposeful about reaching out to the lost and wondering, being a refuge for the hurting, um, being a light to those in darkness, and a light to our community and to the world, and, and being a place that cares about future generations, being a place that wants to, to multiply and grow uh, disciples and followers of Jesus. This is our Father's business. The three principles that undergird this, use it or lose it. The one who didn't use what God gave, gave to him, he took it away and gave it to somebody else. Use it or lose it. Number two, he who is faithful in little gets to be faithful in much. In other words, the more faithful we are using what God has entrusted to us, even if it's small, God says, wow, you're a faithful servant. You're, a, you're faithfully investing the little bit I've given you. I'm going to give you more so you can do even more for me. He takes the minas that the one unfaithful servant had kind of wasted by not using them and he gives them to the guy that had produced the greatest output. And it wasn't that he's trying to make him uh, uber rich. You know, it's because he, it's about growing his kingdom. 
Use it or lose it. If you're faithful with what little bit you have, God will reward you. You'll be faithful in much. Number three, to whom much is given, much is expected. We are, we are different. Uh, write this down. 1 Corinthians 16.2. 1 Corinthians 16.2 says that each of us should lay aside and give generously as God prospers us. Some can give more. Some can't give as much. But as God prospers you more... His expectation is that we be more generous. So these are just some overviews that are taught right in this parable. Therefore, be accountable investing his resources for his kingdom. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. And the final point of the morning, number five, that's obvious from this parable is God blesses and records faithfulness. Uh, Not record. Actually, he does record and reward faithfulness. He rewards faithful stewards. Therefore, be generous knowing that God will someday reward you. If you were to take one memory verse from this passage, it would be Matthew 25, 21, where um, the servant is evaluated with what he had done. And I love this phrase. God welcomes him into his kingdom and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. It's just not about being, doing big things. It's about being faithful. When God entrusts you with opportunities, with talents, and with treasure, all God says is be faithful, be purposeful, and don't just use it to try to build your kingdom. Use it to build mine. Now, how do we put this into action? Well, first of all, I think, it, I think it, it calls me to change the way I even think about, especially money in relation to my life. Um, and, and let me give you a little statement. It's this, that we often focus on our net wealth. You know, what's a guy worth? You know, so much, so-and-so is worth this much money. You know, what's Bill Gates worth? What's Trump worth? What's this person worth? You know, and instead of focusing on net wealth, focus on net worth. And here's how I define the two when I study the Word of God. It's that net wealth is temporal temporal, and it always zeroes out at death. But net worth or true worth is eternal and can even extend beyond my life. Now think about that. In other words, all that we possess, all that God entrusts to us uh, when it comes to, to, to money or things or possessions, All that God entrusts to us uh, zeroes out at death. Let me just prove it. Here's here's a chart with three individuals. The first one, this one, this is a guy that lived barely above the poverty line. So he didn't accumulate much wealth at all. But in terms of his net wealth, all of a sudden at death, it zeroes out. Got it? Here's a guy that makes a really good living. And this guy does pretty well, has a place at the beach, blah, blah, blah. So he makes a lot more money, but when he dies, he's at the exact same place as the guy that was in poverty on welfare. It zeroes out at death. Now, here's the uh, richest guy in the U.S. Pick whoever you want to. Here's Warren Buffett. Here's Buffett or Gates or Trump or this guy or that guy, whatever it is. And, uh, and, and, And he makes tons of money, millions of dollars, but when he dies, he's got the same amount as he enters into heaven. 
I mean, he zeroes out in terms of his wealth. You can't take it with you. But let me show you a fourth individual. This is the Christian who invests their time, talent, and treasure to advance the kingdom of God. They're purposeful about thinking, yeah, I've got to live off this, and that's okay. God wants me to care for my family and, and, and to provide, and that's one reason God blesses me. But God has me thinking purposely. How do I invest in the kingdom of God? What can I do to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? What can I do, as Jesus says in Matthew, to lay up treasure in heaven which never goes away? What can I do to do all that? And and what we learn is, this guy, as you notice, at death, his true worth continues to climb because he's invested in things that are eternal, not temporal. So if I were to ask you, what things are eternal? What would your answer be? What is eternal? Huh? The souls of people. So people are eternal. What else is, in, is eternal? Heaven is eternal. Heavenly things, eternal things. Your relationship with God is eternal. The Word of God, for example, is said to be eternal. So the Word of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God never ends. You know, we're, we're blessed to be a part of the kingdom. Do you realize when you put your faith in Christ by His grace, you don't earn it, He gives you life, and, 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 and He doesn't just give you better life, He gives you eternal life. John 5.24 says that when you put your faith in Christ, you, you pass from death into life eternally. So it's like the, the real Dale, not just this cruddy body that's losing its hair and, you know, and got sore knees and blah 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 okay it's not this body is still decaying but i'm going to have a new body he's going to give me i'll be incredible you won't believe me you won't recognize me for sure okay except maybe becky she'll say i remember you when you were like 30 you look like that but anyway get over that but but the reality is i'm going to have new life new body that goes forever and ever free of sin free of death free of suffering no more illness no more pain forever and ever That's eternal. So when you invest in the kingdom of God and people, you're investing in eternal things. That's the big idea. So, as we do this, what do we want to remember if you want to live life purposefully to be a a wise kingdom investor? Because what I want you to hear someday is, is that you, you, you live life, you enjoy life, you walk with God. But you say, how can I use whatever God gives me to advance His kingdom? And someday when you die, and you stand in the presence of Christ, you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's it. That's the, that's the goal. So what tips do I give you before you head out the door? Let me call these uh, Kingdom Investing 101. How do you get started investing in the family business, as I say in your outline? Number one, we've got to remember, and this is hard in our culture, that everything I have, ultimately, is, it belongs to God. It's on loan from God. 
He gives it to me. He blesses it with me. He gives me a job. He gives me abilities. He gives me income. But James 1.17 says, every good gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. God owns it all. So it changes the way I think that my home, my car, my computer, my iPhone, my anything, it's all God's. And God's been so kind and gracious to bless me with, with it. And uh, so, but it's God's stuff that He's put on loan to me. God owns it all. It's like those three envelopes that we passed out. There's a letter in there, and what it says is, this money is not yours, it's God's money, but God has loaned it to you to advance His kingdom. So pray, be purposeful, be wise, and invest it to advance the kingdom of God. That's basically what the letter says. God owns it all. Number two, give with joyful generosity. You know, one of the values that we really dream for our church, and I think it's developing, is that we be a church of joyful generosity, uh, where we are giving to those who are in need locally, globally around this world. Uh, we are investing in the kingdom of God with joyful generosity. We're the very first fruits of what we have. It's a phrase the Old Testament uses for the first 10% of all God gives you. My challenge to you is to get in a discipline budget-wise where the very first 10% of whatever God blesses you with, set it aside, give it back to Him. And that doesn't mean you can't give way beyond that, but that's a great discipline to work toward in terms of our lives. Give a joyful generosity. Number three, give more as you're given more. You know, 1 Corinthians very clearly, or 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Uh, this week, read 2 Corinthians 9. You'll see uh, what it says is this. When it comes to money, God says, uh, give generously from a joyful heart. shouldn't be a burden. I'm not laying a big guilt trip on you today, trying to guilt you into giving more. I'm just saying that, hey, what you have is a gift from God. How much of it are you investing in his kingdom? How much are we investing in his kingdom? And let's stretch ourselves. And the more God gives us, the more he expects us to give. And the more generous we are with God, he actually promises in his word that he'll make your capacity for giving go up because of your generosity. To whom, if you are faithful in little, you'll have a chance to be faithful in much. He, bless, he blesses you. For more generosity. And last but not least, value and invest in things that are eternal. In things that are eternal. And that's what we're represented by those different symbols all throughout our Converge series of the lost and wandering people and the kingdom of God. Invest in people and the kingdom of God. So if I were to wrap up today, let me just give you a couple great quotes that maybe will help bring this together. One author, and I lost track of the name, but it wasn't original with me, said this. It's been said that true worth is not measured by what you have, but by what you'd have if you lost everything. Now think on that. What would you have if from the world's perspective you got wiped out financially? You lost everything. The big earthquake hits. You lose your home. You lose your car. You lose your possessions. You lose your job. 
if you're dead broke and you wake up, your real value, your real worth is what you still have that can never be taken from you. It's your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's your privilege of serving Him. It's your opportunity to be faithful with whatever little bit God would leave you with. See, your real worth is not measured by the stock market. Your real worth is measured by the riches you have in Christ and the things that He allows you to invest in things that are eternal. That could never be taken from you. The reality is we all will lose everything one day. You think, well, yeah, I'm never going to lose it all. Yes, you are. There'll be a day, could be today. I could be on the way home and have a heart attack or you hit by a car. My life would be over on this planet. Boom. And as far as my soul heading for heaven, I'm leaving everything behind. I will someday lose everything from the world's perspective. Well, what will I have waiting for me in heaven? Because you've heard it said you can't take it with you. Well, I think what Jesus is saying is you can't take this stuff with you, but you can actually send, send it ahead. You can earn eternal rewards as you serve the King of Kings, as you invest wisely your life and all that's given to you in other people, other things, you actually lay up, Jesus' phrase, lay up treasure in heaven where nothing will ever take it away. Instead of just laying up and building more and more and more and more of this earthly treasure stuff which eventually is going to either rust or be stolen or be spent and be gone. Lay up your treasure in heaven. Today, three of you received a letter and some money. The letter said, this is a gift from God. In the letter, let me just read you some of the highlights, because in reality, this letter is not just for those three people, it's for all of us. Because the fact of the matter is, today, to make a point, these three individuals received some money, which literally is a gift from God to them. It's God's money. The letter says, you're free to use it however you want. You can go out to lunch on it today and spend it if you want to. But the letter says, God says, take this and pray and look for an opportunity. And here's the direct quote. This money is to be used by you to demonstrate the love of God to people. To help bring a little heaven to earth as you provide hope, help, and perhaps the good news of Christ to someone you encounter in your everyday life. This person could be a lifelong friend or family member, or they could be a stranger that you meet for the first time, but they have a need. And this money, which God has put in your hands, enables you to show them some love from Christ. And then I give a hint. If possible, try to multiply the impact of this money in any way you can so it can have an even greater impact for God's kingdom. See if you can multiply it, perhaps. You can even invite others to join you in this assignment to increase its impact. But here's the deal for the three of you. 
but do not simply give this money to Seacoast or any other church or missionary. So we don't want you to just say, oh, so I picked my favorite missionary and I gave it to him. In other words, you are to personally use it to bless someone else, investing it for God, asking God to guide you into opportunities to show his love for others. And then at the end of 60 days, or within 60 days, we want you to write me a letter describing how you saw God use the money. What impact did it have on you? What impact did it have on other people? Now, here's why this is for everyone in the room. Have you ever in your life received an envelope that contained a paycheck or, or money? Most of us have, most of us will. Every good gift is from God. God owns it all. The fact of the matter is, we've been receiving envelopes from God with gifts from the very first time we ever got a paycheck. God keeps giving. Change the way we think. And I invite you over the next 60 days to act like I just gave you an envelope today. Maybe go home and open your wallet and say, okay, I want to put my own 20 bucks in an envelope. I'm going to put my own 40 bucks, 100 bucks, 1,000 bucks, whatever, in an envelope. And I want to say, God, show me opportunities to love someone with this money in the name of Christ. Imagine if all of us did that. I think we'd be surprised how his kingdom would grow. So join me in that challenge, okay? Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much. As the band comes to close our time in worship, thank you so much that you are a generous God. You have so showered us with your grace and with your spirit and your word and your people. Thank you for all the good gifts you give to us, including, Father, the abilities and talents, the money, the opportunity that you give us. Father, our... Our dream is to so be enamored by your grace and your love that we want to joyfully invest in your kingdom. May your kingdom expand as we invest to do your business. In Christ's name, amen.